Well, it's good morning from me. Uh, my name's Peter. I'm one of the leaders out of the church here. It's uh, good to have you here. You doing well? Yeah, excellent. So it's just there was a little ambivalence there. Um, it's good to be out. Look, uh, we've been working through uh, Ephesians uh, at the church here in the latter part of last year, and we're going to kick on with that uh, now. So uh, pretty excited about it. Today's, today's message is probably just a little bit more sombre, um, because the, uh, what the Bible talks about in Ephesians 2 is a bit more sombre. So uh, we tend to, tend to go with that. So uh, let's, uh, let's kick in. This man has the Ebola virus and he's lying outside a hospital because uh, the hospital's full and there's not enough room for him. The Ebola virus first appeared in 1976 and uh, many of us would be aware that it really took hold in West Africa in 2014. It was reported to have killed about 8,000 people by January 2015. there's an incubation period for uh, Ebola that uh, lasts between anywhere between two and 21 days. Uh, and it was, um, humans are not infectious, infectious until they develop symptoms of it. The symptoms of Ebola are uh, the sudden onset of fever, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, sore throat, uh, followed by vomiting, diarrhea, rash, symptoms of impaired kidney and liver function, and in some cases, internal and external bleeding. Up to 90% of people have died in some outbreaks of Ebola. And death normally comes about within three days. I remember uh, a couple of years ago when uh, there was a lot of media coverage of the Ebola outbreak, and this uh, particular picture is from back then. Um, I remember seeing a news story where they said the living are on one side of the road and the dead are on the other side of the road. And they went through this village and it was exactly, that's exactly what it was the living on one side and the dead on the other. The pictures and the, uh, and the news reports were particularly, I don't know whether you remember this, but they were particularly horrific. Uh, and I think part of the reason why they were so horrific is because, uh, um, y- you know, it could come for us. It could get into Australia. I mean, it got into America. It was a massive story when there was a case of Ebola that ended up in America. But what I want to say to you today is this, and this is what I think Ephesians 2 is telling us today, is that physical evil is only a mere shadow of the true nature of spiritual evil. You hear that? Like, think about the most brutal, horrific physical thing that you've seen on this planet, and that is only a mere shadow of the horrific, brutal nature of spiritual evil. You see, Ebola was not the epicenter of evil. Ebola was the effect of the epicenter of evil. Does that make sense? See, what you look at when you look at something that's brutal like Ebola is you're not looking at evil itself in a sense. I mean, there's a sense in which you are, but you're not actually looking at evil itself. You're looking at the effect or the consequence of evil. You see... Spiritual evil is on a whole nother level to anything that we see in the physical realm. It's not evil itself. I mean, you could push it and say it's an evil thing to have a virus like that. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the corruption of, the, of physicality is not necessarily the evil itself 
but it is the reverberation of evil. And it, it brings us to the point where we could ask what I think is a very good and a very probing question. If the effects of evil are this, what must be the cause? I overheard someone last night talking about the whole problem of a good God and evil things happening in the world. See, that, that's a grappling with seeing things that just don't make sense in a way. It's a, it's a grappling with, with the uh, expression or the consequence of evil. If the effects are such, what must the cause be like? Well, we're in uh, Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 2 and today I'm going to be talking about sin. And uh, sin is terminal, formidable, and historic. the outcome is historical. So if you can grab your Bibles and flick over to uh, Ephesians 2, we're just going to read the passage that we're, uh, we're going to be working on today. Ephesians chapter 2. If, you, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, how the Bible works in terms of looking verses up, the big numbers are the uh, chapter headings and the small numbers are the verses. Uh, there's a contents in the front, you can look that up. Uh, and find out where you need to go to get to Ephesians, or alternatively, probably just download a Bible app, and then you can just pick the the, uh, the book and the chapter and the verse that you're after. So, uh, Ephesians chapter two, starting at verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So let's uh, kick in. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to be ducking all over the place in your Bibles. Here we go. Sin is terminal. Go to verse 1 and 2 there. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. See, Paul's not saying that sin might kill you. Paul's saying sin does kill you. It just it takes you out. All right? And he's not even saying that people are in danger of death. He's saying it actually killed you. Sin is always terminal. Sin, in a sense, had completely overwhelmed us. If you belong to Jesus, sin had completely overwhelmed you and killed you spiritually. Humans are dead spiritually because sin kills them. It's like the Ebola virus, but way worse. <laughs> Because it's a 100% kill rate. It's like a virus that you can't cure. And there's, in a very real sense, the effects of sin, the evil that we see, is helpful to us because we don't always know the power of sin until you see it act outwardly. You get that? When you see it act outwardly, you can see the power of it. So when you sit there and you're watching a relative dying and they're a mere shell of the person that you knew, and you see the brutal effects of cancer or any other kind of disease that's taking someone out, one of the things that you could be thinking is how horrific and brutal this thing sin is. Like, it just is. Like, you're not playing with a toy. <laughs> Do you get that? You're just not playing with a toy. You're playing with something that's lethal. You know, I, was, I, was, uh, I looked at the news this morning, and the news 
by and large, is a catalogue of an outward expression of sin. That's what it is. And today, there's a story on the news, there's a bit of a conspiracy theorist kind of story out there, that one of the, one of the security guards for President Trump, after his, his inauguration, when he walked down the street, actually had fake arms on. All right? Because people thought his, his, his hands were like that, they, they say, for the entire duration of this walk down the, down the mall or whatever it was. I probably just insulted every American on the planet by calling it a mall. What's it called? Washington Mall. Thank you, uh, Ray. You know what they reckon it was? They, the conspiracy theorists are saying that they were fake arms mm. and the guy, the security guard underneath, had an, had an automatic um, machine gun underneath and probably had his finger on the trigger. Why? Because they're not just playing with it. Like, he's not playing with a toy with the gun and he knows that it's a risky situation. And he's, if that's actually what's happening, I don't know. If that's what's happening, what is it? It's someone's recognising the fact that there's a very, very dangerous situation and we need to approach it accordingly. And I wonder, just chipping in for you here, I'm, I'm going to be trying to help you all morning, just for making it practical. And yeah, it may not feel like I'm helping you, but um, what have you been playing around with? What have you been playing around with when it comes to, to sin? Like, are you just poking at it? Have you made peace with it? Like, what we're talking about is something that's lethal. That's what we're talking about. And it's not even lethal 50% of the time. It's not like we can go, oh, it won't happen to me. Ephesians 2 verse 1 and 2 is saying, no, it happens to everyone. Sin is so lethal and it's so terminal, it takes everyone out and, and renders them dead spiritually and eventually renders them dead physically. I want to ask you the question. Some of you go, man, people don't... You're probably going, people don't talk about sin that much anymore. What is this sin? Well, I want to ask... I'm just going to cash it out in the context of this. Why is death the result of sin? And I want to suggest to you today that death has to be the result of sin. Like there's, there's no other way to go about it. It just has to... Like if, if you sin, it must, it must be death. All right. So what I'm doing now is I'm not just saying sin, there's a consequence to sin or that sin creates death. I'm actually saying that it has to be that way. And I'm, I'm going to show you, hopefully, I'll prove to you that that is the case from the Bible. So can you, um, you duck across to Ephesians 4? Ephesians 4 verse 18 should only be a page across there. So Paul here is talking about people who don't know Jesus not connected to Jesus. Look at verse 4, verse 18. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of what? God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Straight off the bat, before I go to any other book and any other scripture, straight off the bat you should be going, okay, so there's, it's not just that sin kills, it's that sin is an alienation from life. You see that? That's what it is. It's an alienation from life. So come with me across to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Going to read verse 1 to 4. 
John 1 verse 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So the Word that John's talking about is Jesus. Okay, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Notice the next four words in the ESV. Verse 4, in him was what? Life. Okay? In Jesus, life exists. You get that? So it logically follows. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you. If you leave Jesus, you get death. Like it's logical. It's not even a consequence or a punishment. It's just a logical procession. You leave Jesus, you get death. Let's keep going. Go to uh, John chapter 5. Verse 26. John chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus says this. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have what? Life in himself. Do you see that? Like we, we are not life. Okay? If you look through the whole of the scriptures, you see time and time again that God gives life and breath to everything. He's the giver of life. Let's go to one more. John 14. Flick over a couple more pages. Trying to keep this easy for you in terms of looking it up. You know this verse, right? Many many Christians uh, know this verse. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, sin is when we actually say to God, I don't want to be connected to you anymore. And if sin is saying to God, I don't want to be connected to you anymore, what we're really saying is, I don't want to be connected to life anymore, thanks. I'm going to switch off the machines. Because you know, all of us here, it's God's grace and his mercy and kindness that has you on life support. And when you say, when any person says, I don't want to be connected to you anymore. We choose death in preference to life. That's every single time. When you take revenge for someone who's hurt you and and you do things your way and you achieve your goals and you forsake God, you're moving away from life. There can't be any other option. I mean, Acts 3... uh, don't go to it now, but Acts 3, 14 and 15. I mean, listen to this. This is uh, Peter speaking to some Jews um, in the early church. He says, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Listen, listen to this phrase. And you killed the author of life. Like, that's a really dumb thing to do, isn't it? So like, I've got an idea, like, Let's kill life. That's going to work out well for us. There's nothing that lives on this planet that is not dependent upon God in an ongoing, every single second of the day way. They depend upon God for life. That's you. You see, and sin is deadly because life is only found in God. And sin is alienation from God. So here's my challenge for you. Try to stop breathing. Try to stop stop in breathing. Some of you go, oh, that's cool. You just pass out and 
all on the ground, and then you start breathing again. Okay, well, get a friend to duct tape your mouth and your nose up. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to die. Why are you going to die? Yeah, because you don't have any breath. You're actually disconnected from something that gives you life. And that's just a shadow of what it's like to be, you know, to disconnect from God. You can't live, ultimately it's only God's grace that means that you can live outside of Christ. I mean, there's a whole world that's dead spiritually, that doesn't even know God, and they can't live spiritually without God. And the fact that they're living physically is only an expression of God's grace toward them. You see, Paul's saying that the most vital part of sin is being disconnected from the source of life. Every time we choose to leave God, we leave life. And death creeps in. Because you can't be disconnected from life and not be affected. You see, the difficulty for us is that we live in a world that thinks the most important thing is physical. Paul here is saying, now the most important thing is the spiritual reality. And the most important thing about your spiritual reality is that you, if, if you're not part of Jesus, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not connected to Jesus, you are engaged in a real and present death. And it's the death, it's the deadness of the thing that's most important about you. Your spirit. Okay. I have a uh, a little illustration here. All right. And this is going to tell you the same thing that I've just been telling you for the last seven minutes. Okay? What's this? Just be careful. What is it? That could be a toaster. Is everyone cool with that? This is an object that could be a toaster. This is not actually effective at being a toaster right now, right? Is that fair enough? It's been designed to be a toaster. Why, why, why will this not toast bread if I put, in it, put bread in it? Because there's no power, all right? So let me use Paul's terminology. Is this toaster alive or dead? It's dead, okay? And do you know what? A toaster has no power to plug itself in. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, this one, this is one of those ones that doesn't even stay down unless it's plugged in. It can't, it can't do it. All right? It has no other appendages to grab this thing and stick it into a socket. Where does the life of a toaster come from? From a PowerPoint. Oh, there's no more trick questions at this point. In time. You guys are going, oh, this, is, this could go bad. The life of a toaster actually comes from the PowerPoint, doesn't it? It actually comes from... Me dropping it. It comes from being plugged in and being switched on. And it still doesn't work. Yeah. There you go. The toast is broken. Yeah, that's a whole new illustration, that is. You get my point? See, Paul's actually saying in Ephesians 2. I think he's even going further than that. He's saying 
he's saying that sin actually cuts the plug off and you get stuck get stuck being dead John Owen uh, wrote a pretty uplifting book nah kidding it would be uh, but it's pretty intense because it's about sin called the mortification of sin and this is one of his famous uh, quotes he says be killing sin or it will be killing you that's just what it does sin kills it always kills it has to kill because it's about alienating someone from life in a way that people can't do anything to restore it if you go back to ephesians with me come back to ephesians uh, chapter 2 go down to the end of verse 3 there Uh, paul actually says that everyone is by nature before Jesus changes them, everyone by nature is a child of wrath. You know what that means? We were all born into sin. You know what? Your default setting when you get born is disconnected from God. If you could talk to a baby that was an hour old and they could talk back to you and you could have a conversation, which would be really weird, especially about theology, but if you could have a conversation like that with a baby and you say, what is your spiritual state right now? The answer, the correct answer is, I am disconnected from God. Do you know what that means? The baby's born spiritually dead. All of us are born spiritually dead. Like the, I hope you get the, getting a feel for this. This is like a crisis situation. And some of you go, no, well, I've seen a crisis situation. This is not it. No, it is a crisis situation. And because the spiritual is much more significant then the physical, and I'm not saying the physical is not significant, I'm just saying the spiritual is far more significant. It is much more of a crisis. Sin is terminal. Let's go on to number two. Sin is formidable. Go to verse two and three. Just going to read that again. Uh, You were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you... You walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Here's the thing. You just need to know that there is a deadly cocktail out there. I was just talking to Diff up there before, and it seems that our world largely lives in a place that's not particularly enchanted. Kind of just thinks the physical is all there is, we can do science, we can just work a whole bunch of other things out. And some people live on the other end where like everything's enchanted, there's always something going on with something. And I think probably there's a great big grey area in the middle, it's a bit of a mixture of both of those things. But what Paul's actually saying to you in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 here is there's actually forces at work that plot your downfall and that have plotted our downfall. Have a look. In there at verse, uh, verse 2 there, it actually says, um, following the course of this world. The whole world is affected by sin. And the whole world goes around, has anyone ever noticed this? The whole world goes around spreading sin. Like that, we're pretty good at that. I mean, it's something you probably don't want to be good at, but we're pretty good at it, right? People go around and they kind of, they do lots of good things, but we actually also are pretty good at spreading sin. Just think for a moment about the nature of the social value system in our culture and how alien it is to God. Think about the Victorian government. 
that is working very, very hard to make their state secular. And they're wanting to get rid of, the state government appears to just want to get rid of God. You see, you just need to know that there are forces at work at a social level that are arrayed against you. They're arrayed against everyone and they actually encourage people to be dead. <laughs> they kill people. Now, it's, we're not saying that culture is some kind of entity, in a sense, that's separate from the individual, because a culture is made up of individuals. But, but it is true that there's sections of our culture that fight very strongly against, and they're very secular, and they want to get God out of things. They're very overt about wanting to get rid of God. But then there's parts of our culture that are very amoral, where people don't believe in absolutes, they don't believe in objective truth, that some things are actually right and wrong. And this is what I think has been so humorous for me, and I'm not a rabid Trump supporter by any stretch, right? But I just want to say this, it's humorous to watch the left, who most of them, as far as I'm concerned, don't actually believe in objective right and wrong, saying that Trump's evil. Like all of a sudden you have this guy come up and pulls in a different direction and then you have people who don't even believe in good and evil saying he's doing wrong things. And it's, it's, it's a little bit kind of hilarious for me. <laughs> all right? Because I just think it's just, it's just double-faced. Double what about, think about materialism. Think about the way that our culture and the marketing machine glorifies consumption and tells you that you'll be happy if they have their kit. It's the world has a significant influence upon you. You see, wherever humans are being dehumanised, you can see the power of the world is actually at work. And there's lots about our world that dehumanises people, which is why it's so important that we're all doing this thing with Jesus to restore humanity. Amen? Because who knows our world needs it? I mean, there can even be good things in the world that can lead us away from God, right? So, income protection insurance? Not bad. I've got it. Is it possible in my mind, like in my heart, there's just going to be moments where I'm just going to go, yeah, I probably... Now, I don't say it like this, right? But is it, does it have this kind of flavor? Like, no, I probably don't need to trust God with that because that's squared away. I'll trust him in the other things. That's all good. I've got insurance for that. So we trust in insurance. And in a sense, what it is, it's the, the world is exercising its influence in lots of different ways to see us disconnect from God. You know, that... Humanity uh, gives each other the kiss of death sometimes, don't we? Like we just do. Number two, in this little section here, there's the, uh, the manoeuvring of the world and then there's uh, the enemy, the devil. The devil was once uh, God's angel and he turned on him. And uh, as far as we understand... He uh, took a third of the other angels with him. And the head of all the wicked people in the world is the devil. Okay? The head of all the righteous people in the world is God. 
and the head of all the people that don't belong to Jesus is the devil. And that's a bit intense maybe, but that's just kind of how it is. Have a look in verse 2 there. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you see that? Paul's saying the head of people who are disobedient, who are dead, is the devil. People who belong to, uh, to God are not under the power of the devil here. They can obviously be affected by him, but they're not specifically under the devil's headship and leadership, but people who are, are dead are. Now, what this verse is saying, if you're looking at verse 2 there, is it's actually saying <laughs> that the devil, the devil's influence, like when it talks about um, the prince of the power of the air, it's talking about the devil's influence. It's not, in a, it's not saying that this world is not God's kingdom and it doesn't have his rulership. It's just talking about his influence. And you need to know that the devil exercises effective and compelling power over the lives of people. He just does. Disobedient people are his children. And so what you've got here is you haven't just got the world that's, that's plotting against you in a sense, but you've also got the devil that's actually going to plot against you. And my sons have started using this saying lately. And it's a classic saying, and there's a few different versions of it. It's this one. It's uh, no offence, but... Which people normally say when they want to cause offence and get away with it. <laughs> All right? Another one that people say is, it's nothing personal. But... And then they'll say something. I want to say to you this morning, when it comes to the devil, it's personal. It's always personal when it comes to the devil. And he wants to see your ruin. He wants to see the ruin of every single person on the face of this planet. That's what he wants to see. He doesn't want to do anything good for you. He's not wanting to be helpful to you. He's wanting to take you out. And he's active in doing that. The evil of the devil is a personal evil force. And who knows that sometimes hurt can be easier to take when it's not personal. If something's an accident, someone does something and it affects you, you can just kind of go, okay, that's, well, I, I understand that you weren't actually out to get me. He is out to get you. He just is. <laughs> All right? That, this is the place in which you're living. He's out to get you. And before you got joined to Jesus, he had you in his grip. See, 2 Corinthians verse 4 says this, in their case, the God of this world, the devil, that's God with a lowercase g. Uh, my, uh, my dad um, has been a Presbyterian minister um, my whole life and he showed ongoing disrespect to the devil <laughs> his whole life preaching in the church by never giving devil or Satan a capital at the start of the name. That was my dad's way of just going, hey, no, I'm giving you no honour. And I write that. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to his image of God. You want to know why people who you know who don't love Jesus don't love him? Well, one of the reasons for it is because the devil's blinding them. Gaffer, tape up the eyes. That's one of the reasons why they don't move toward Jesus. And it's also one of the reasons why 
you need to pray really, really hard. Because there's something more going on than just a straight-out decision. You know, you talk to your friends or your workmates about Jesus, they go, no, I don't want him. They haven't, it's not just that they've made just a random decision about something. Like, it's not that clean. I trust you're getting that vibe from Ephesians 2 here. It just isn't that clean. Because the world's working on them, the devil's working on them. All right? So you, you're actually going to need to bring in some big guns. <laughs> and that's what prayer is. I think John Piper said that prayer is not a, uh, a peacetime intercom to bring you what you want. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. Because what you actually need is you need some backup. And that person needs some good firepower. It doesn't get any better than Jesus, right? Now we could, you know, we're working through verse 2 and 3 here. We could just be feeling like men, like people are out of control. Well, I'll tell you something, there's a third influence that's at work on people. Go back to uh, verse 3 there. So it's a world, the flesh, sorry, the world, the devil, and now the flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Here's the thing. We don't just do what we do because of external forces. We're not just victims in this thing. There are internal forces at work too. We have, who knows this, we, we just, a natural man, a natural woman, has got desires focused on themselves. They've got passions and they've got lusts. We have a longing in the natural, before Jesus changes us, when we're looking back on it, we actually had a longing just to get whatever we wanted. To love something that wasn't God, to worship something and value something that wasn't God. And it gets even worse in this. You can see at the, uh, the end of verse 3 there that Paul's actually saying it's, it's not just the body that's corrupted, but your, your mind's corrupted. And so theologians talk about the noetic effects of sin. And, and the noetic effects of sin is that sin has actually affected you so much that you can't even think straight. Like your thoughts are weird. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you just go, you're, just, you're not even thinking straight. Just pull up a bit. It doesn't make any sense what you're doing right now. Well, that's the flesh. We add our own complication to this deadly cocktail. Well, let me finish on some good news. You ready for some good news? Yeah. Um, the effects of sin, if you love Jesus, are historical. They're historical. There's something that's in the past. Can you come back with me? I'm going to read the whole of the three verses again. And you know what I want you to notice? Is I want you to notice the tense. Okay? You ever, has anyone ever heard that joke by Siri about... Have you ever asked Siri to tell you a joke? Have you ever done that? One of the ones she tells you is the past, present and future walked into a bar. It was tense. Really bad. True story. Go home. So Siri, tell me a joke and you'll probably get that one. Anyway, verse 1. And you were, what's that? Past, present or future? Past. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Past, present or future? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Past, present or future? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were past, present, or future. Okay, you know what's amazing about that? 
everything that it talks about, where by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, and everything that comes before it, it's all past tense if you belong to Jesus. Isn't that good news? If you're united with Jesus, you're not dead anymore. You still sin, but you're not dead. See, Paul, I think, recalls the past, not because the emphasis falls upon the past, but in order to draw attention to God's mighty action in Jesus. Amen? And some of you sitting here today, you're probably going, I'm I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere that project would like to grow. And, you know, this is not a good tactic (laughs) for going to church. You know, you, you you don't have an intense conversation monologue about sin let's just keep it upbeat let's just keep it positive sometimes i think uh, when we throw god's grace around and we haven't cashed out our need for it enough it ends up being a little bit like pearls before swine right but and this is what i think paul's doing you see he's just had such amazingly good news the whole of Ephesians chapter 1 and then he kicks into this bit and he's just going you were gone <laughs> you were out you know like the cricket umpire you cut him off cut her off they're dead see if you don't talk about sin you don't see the amazing grace of God See, Paul doesn't show the grace of God, and we're going to get to that next week, until he has made inescapably clear the desperate need and universal sinfulness of humanity. You see, we're talking about this today because I want you to revel in and appreciate the benefits of being in Jesus. We're also talking about it today because if you don't know Jesus and you don't love Jesus, you're in a drastic position, and you need to, you need to run to Jesus. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble. You're deeply affected by your own evil. You're deeply affected by the evil of the world. And you have a strong opponent in the devil. You've got no hope and you're far from God. And those two are connected. Who knows that's true? And you're alienated from his life. We have a God who does something about dead people. 